welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, uh, our last one of 2023. Um, and for the next 20 minutes or so, we'll give you our thoughts on matters of the moment in and around the hotel and uh, living space. And we're going to start by taking a look at the outlook for uh, 2024, um, as we kind of reflect on a year in which uh, there were plenty of things dampening down uh, uh, demand in terms of the investment marketplace there were plenty of operational challenges too uh, but inflation seems to be dropping back down um, and surely things are all set fair for 2024 well let's see um, we had a an outlook uh, from PwC the consultants looking at what's going to happen in the UK market and they're not overly optimistic because they see um, a much tougher 2024, uh, at least in the UK, uh, because in part uh, because of a substantial amount of new supply of hotel rooms coming on stream, both in London and uh, around the regions as well. And they think that is going to cause some issues, um, never mind whether demand is is going to rise a little bit more. They see the more rooms on the market as being likely to depress uh, room rates and they believe that actually in real terms room rates are going to slide a little bit uh, in uh, in the UK uh, but what's what's interesting about their kind of mm, measured outlook is that um, that fl- sort of flies a bit in the face of what we continue to hear from many of the operators who are considering themselves still optimistic as I say they mention uh, things like you know the inflation rate coming down actually and 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 operating costs started to steady is giving them the confidence that they're not going to have quite such a, a difficult year as 2023 in terms of uh, operations uh, and th- there's also the feel certainly um, not just in the UK market but in other European markets that you know there's there's still a bit more uh, wind to come into their sales from the return of uh, uh, business travel more fully as well so um, uh, we're at an interesting point is it going to be a happy new year well i'm a bit cautious about announcing a happy new year at this stage mm-hmm. um i mean last year the well say last year this year actually we're still in 2023 so the bets for 2023 were that we were going to start seeing significant deal flow um by the second half that's not happened um mm-hmm. now i think if you're optimistic and i am moderately optimistic um you would say we have hit an inflection point we are starting to see um deal flow pick up albeit from a very low base and albeit the the incline up is very shallow at the moment but uh, there are tentative signs that we are beginning to to um, get back to a, a more normal um, transaction market that standoff between sellers and buyers um, will hopefully be fully ended at some point um, during 2024 i hosted a round table with uh, a go hotels um, last week and it was uh, it was interesting going round the table the, the consensus was you know q2 q3 was when we'd start really seeing some some transactions um um, but nobody is um looking forward to a sort of bursting dam type experience (laughs) it's going to be you know very gradual and incremental Um, i think the key thing what we've got going on here is the affordability from a buyer perspective and there are three variables three key variables there's lots of variables are three key variables uh, one is pricing one is income 
um, how much money the the whatever it is you're buying makes and the third is debt cost um, right now we seem to be in a good place with all three of those um, from an affordability perspective so I think pricing is coming off a bit not hugely but you know when you've had significant inflation you only need those nominal prices to stand still for it to be a meaningful reduction so mm. if an asset um, was valued at 100 million 18 months ago it should today because we've had a you know double digit inflation at least 10 percent inflation over that period it should be worth 110 million well if it's still worth 100 million that's an effective 10 million pound haircut so that that is i think the way we're going to see most of the pricing correction coming into the market i took a look at some numbers from um, the data analysts at green street and they looked back to the the peak in private real estate market values which was in 2022 now actually lodging as hotels are called in american speak um they um, have been the best performers um uh, best performer among the different asset classes and they are down seven percent since that previous peak now you compare this to um industrial which everybody talks about logistics but but because that had such a uh, already very tight yield um, that's down 16% since that peak in 2022 healthcare down 20% mals or retail down 20% apartments interestingly down 30% and offices a very painful 35% drop so it, it's um, it, it, it's a uh, you know it's a very much a big win from lodgings perspective there i mean admittedly you know if you compare it to industrial industrial had a much stronger run-up ahead of that um and it's still you know if, if you go back seven years um where the green street numbers were based to um industrial is up 75 percent um lodging is barely above where it was seven years ago so it, it's what it, is rather interesting to see where hotels stroke lodging now sits in the asset classes it seems to be boringly stable amongst them <laughs> in terms of um where you are so that that's um actually i think for the long term for lodging very much good news and then that comes on to the uh, issue about income what's happening there and what's happening with debt costs so um you know we've talked in the past about uh, the unicorn of the soft landing you know we've got a record uh, level of interest rate increases um um, and so everybody was thinking well look it's going to be next to impossible to to engineer a soft landing but by golly the central bank governors seem to be delivering just that so far so good fingers crossed toes crossed etc we seem to be heading for a the shallowest of recessions if we actually even get one so that's quite a remarkable outcome so that's good news i'd suggest from the income point of view in that there should be some and actually if you look at the trading in the hotel sector we're seeing you know plenty of resilience in there so that's that's good news that income piece um it, it looks good it's certainly not going to be as good as it has been but as uh, long as it doesn't dip i think that's very positive indeed for the outlook for next year and then it comes to debt costs well um the interesting bit here with debt costs to an extent 
that's inversely correlated with what goes on in terms of income so if we do have a recession um interest rates are going to be cut harder and faster um i would suggest um and certainly that's what most people are are betting um so therefore you know if we do see a bit of affordability challenge on the income piece the debt cost piece should um come down more than anticipated and will compensate for it so we're in this kind of uh you know best of all worlds kind of outlook right now um there's no obvious immediate catalyst um, for there to be suddenly a, um, a whole bunch of deals. But I think now we've seen the end of the rate tightening cycle, and I think we could safely say that that has finished for the time being. Um, I, I, I think confidence is going to get back into the market, and we're going to start seeing those deals come through. So um, I am optimistic, but um, I, I think it's, it's not going to be some sort of... Uh, dam breaking <laughs> now we're going to talk about uh, a couple of uh, innovators from asia um uh, one of whom you've you've heard of before which is oyo uh, the indian upstart um and uh, they've they've had a obviously uh, had to retract uh, their business as the uh, pandemic took hold but it does uh, sound like oyo is beginning to get their mojo back uh, and they've recently resumed a, uh, a, a technique they've um, they previously tried before the pandemic in india where they are actually uh, supporting um, those who want to manage hotels um, and acting as a kind of go between um, between the landlord and the operator and effectively underwriting the uh, the lease commitment um, to help grow their their portfolio of, of hotels available in India. So an interesting development. Of course, uh, IO are still looking to float on the Indian stock market before too long, uh, and they do reckon that uh, by the middle of next year they're going to be in profit. Um, this this new uh, approach is only happening in India. Um, we haven't heard anything about IO spreading out again um, internationally. Of course, they buy quite substantially into the business of holiday rentals across Europe and have been quietly letting that business get on with itself in the meantime. So um, that's one uh, little hint that something new happening there. And the other interesting arrival uh, in our inbox was some news of a Philippines company called Double Dragon. They have uh, launched um, a little while back um, a brand called Hotel 101 uh, locally to them in the Philippines and they're now starting to push it out internationally. What's interesting here is that they are going for a very simple uh, repeatable format uh, that has drawn some comparisons with, with McDonald's and they want to be completely uniform uh, around the globe. But the other interesting aspect is they are looking to grow by selling fractional ownership to uh, Philippines individuals um, and they uh, think that they can they can use that format um, ac across the globe um, selling their hotels room by room back to the uh, Philippine investors and of course that will help them uh, with their cash flow and help speed up their ability to to grow this this new brand Hotel 101 um, uh, internationally um, at quite a pace. Um, oh dear, on both counts for both <laughs> Oyo and this Philippine Double Dragon company, I think. Oh yeah, I think we've talked about them at length in the past, but uh, um, it, I think they're in a bit of a hole and it's very difficult to see how they're 
going to get out of it they just seem to be digging themselves deeper um, as far as I can see but we'll see uh, I may be proved wrong but um, I think that's a, a troubled business um, fractional ownership oh dearie me how many times <laughs> do we have to have a, a go at trying to make this work it doesn't work um, <laughs> And I, I don't see anything here. I mean, uh, I haven't looked at in depth at this, um, but I don't see anything here that is particularly different. That means it is going to work this time around. So, um, oops, I think, in, on both count, counts. Um, rather than um, get into the detail of either of those, um, I took a step back and looked at... Um, the whole Asia-Pacific region as a whole. And, of course, the, the big um, thing there is the Chinese recovery and what that's going to look like. Um, so China is lagging um, the rest of the world, well, and which means that Asia-Pacific is lagging the rest of the world. So looking at the latest numbers out of the UN World Tourism Organization, um, um, extraordinary situation that, that there's no Asian country in the global top 20 for tourist arrivals in 2022. Um, Thailand was the strongest Asian country coming in at number 21 in 2022 but it was eighth in 2019. Now China was the fourth um, strongest in terms of visitor arrivals globally in 2019 but it's now down at 27th or was down at 27th in 2022 so I, I, I think that's uh, you know that signals just how difficulty how difficult the market is right now um, and you know until China really gets back into its stride Asia Pacific is going to be struggling I think because of the size and scale of China so it's, it's worth reminding ourselves that uh, you know back in 2019 uh, Chinese spending on international tourism was nearly twice that of the US now uh, there has been something of a recovery and China is now just behind the US again but it's still nothing like it was um, so and if you look at the the numbers in terms of arrivals and this is for January to September 2023 um, Asia Pacific um, is the global laggard it's it's still only at 62 percent of 2019 levels um, we look at Europe and that's at 94 percent of pre-pandemic lockdown tourism arrival levels so much stronger recovery in Europe a significantly weaker in Asia Pacific largely I'd say because of China now I think there's all sorts of major issues with China and uh, you know we talked uh, quite optimistically in the previous um, piece we were mentioning in terms of the outlook for 2024 um, and I think if you're gonna um, a bet on a black swan um, moment something which is highly disruptive I think China is a good place to look at it um, now there could be a geopolitical geopolitical earthquake such as the invasion of Taiwan I don't think it's particularly likely I'm not a political analyst uh, we're not political analysts but certainly reading people who are informed in such things that they're not saying it is likely in the next few years but of course there is a risk something happens um, and that does does um, occur um, but I think 
you know it doesn't really even require that for china still to be a significant break on um, asia pacific recovery because if we look at the uh, the problems in the economy particularly relating to the uh, property market something just under a third of the overall chinese economy is connected to the property market and what they've been through with the collapse of evergrande the property developer and a bunch of other developers i mean that impact was worse there was a um, research from barclays looking at uh, um, high yield real estate bonds in china and the impact was worse than during the global financial crisis to give an idea of just how grim it was um, on the numbers that um, Barclays were looking at they said it was an 81% decline against a 65% decline during the GFC um, you've also got 60 property companies which have defaulted on their bonds and the total sum involved is more than 140 billion US dollars so we've got all of these um, issues there which I think are quite a significant uh, a problem in terms of a recovery in China and it's it's not being helped by the Chinese authorities you know going back to sort of their communist um, playbook and uh, really shutting down um, any sort of transparency around this and this is this is not going to be helpful I think in terms of a recovery and the data is getting harder and harder to come by and you know trust is you know external investor trust and you know public trust in china is eroding because of this uh, um clamp down on saying anything bad um and i think overall um the chinese tourism um outbound market is going to be problematic um it's certainly still very very significant and as we've already mentioned it is back to being as big as the US it is likely to get back to being bigger than the US but I think it's going to be quite a while um, before it gets back to uh, where it was pre-Covid. Now across Europe it does seem like uh, regulators are finally getting to grips with the whole issue of short-term rentals um, via platforms such as Airbnb and Booking.com and so on. Um, the European regulators are looking at harmonising their uh, rules around how they they gather short-let uh, data, um, uh, the better to understand the impact it's having on the homes and communities. And uh, also in the UK, we've recently had a report from the All-Party Parliamentary Group for Hospitality and Tourism, who had a good look at the short-term rental sector and have recommended some uh, more they call it light touch regulation but it will um, require more registration of uh, more rigorous uh, following up of, of uh, properties that uh, are offering short-term rental accommodation um, so a bit too little too late well you know we have uh, been reading for many years plenty of people have been warning that um, uh, some communities are kind of effectively being hollowed out by the fact that uh, people who've got who own rental property have worked out they're going to make much more money renting them out uh, for short-term lets via platforms such as Airbnb rather than renting them out long-term to uh, support uh, local residents um, in, in, in a location and we kind of come to this bizarre situation where certain tourist hotspots basically don't have enough accommodation that's affordable for the people that need to work in the attractions that the very tourists are coming to see so um, 
uh, it does feel like uh, right now uh, the short-term rental space and uh, particularly Airbnb is uh, is facing a little bit of a clamp down that will rather spoil their fun I think we need to be careful about going uh, or agreeing with uh, the outlook that's being presented by the lobby groups on behalf of you know renters um i don't buy this oh there's nowhere for for local people to live well yeah that's true but if you get in a car and drive half an hour you will find somewhere to live in most cases um so yes you can't live in a house which is worth several million quid on the coast but um you know um beachfront property as the americans call it is a very um expensive bit of real estate and expectation that you're going to have beachfront or beachfront like or adjacent property i think is completely unrealistic um so i i don't i don't get that at all and this you know this rhetoric that of um, hollowing out communities it's blinking nonsense so i mean um i mean in east anglia and there's a lot of talk about say uh, burnham market and there's lots of moaning by the locals about this about all these incomers coming in and um, wrecking there but you know just down the road in fakenham you can get quite reasonable properties at quite reasonable prices and fakenham is you know less than half an hour drive away so uh, to expect to live in Burnham Market, which is described as you know Chelsea on Sea, um, well, yeah, if you're not a multi-millionaire, well, it's going to be tough. <laughs> um, and you know, uh, I, I, I think the expectation that this can be fixed um, by a clampdown on short-term lettings, um, mm, this for the birds, it's not going to get fixed for that. Um, and I'm afraid what we're seeing a lot of is, um, you know, uh, treatment for symptoms rather than the underlying disease and the underlying disease is that we're not building enough homes in this country now we're not going to build them um, in in an affordable way on the coast but inland a few miles we can there's there's plenty of land we can build on if the planners let us um, and we just got to go out there and do that so I um, I'm slightly concerned by the um, you know yes it's a good thing that we're seeing short-term rentals at last being brought to heel you know the regulatory stick is beginning to swing but i think it's swinging for very much the wrong reasons and it, it, it it's it's going as we have said previously if we're not careful we're going to see this swing and bash the wider tourism industry on the head as well um because the, the, the the whole issue in terms of um, availability of, of property is just as much a case that uh, you know, quite legitimate um, short-term accommodation businesses, hotels, B&Bs, and you know, properly uh, licensed and regulated holiday lets, um, which are uh, very much a good thing for local economies, um, if they're going to get the blame for not letting local people live in Chelsea on Sea, well, you know, this this is ludicrous, and this is going to damage the wider travel and tourism industry. So I think we need to be a little bit careful with this whole piece, and we need to push back. I think. Um, 
you know, as a wider industry, align ourselves with um, Airbnb and say, look, this is nonsense and we're going to actually damage jobs and damage the economy if you do decide to crack down um, on this in this way. That's not to say I think it's a good thing that we are ending the regulatory arbitrage that Airbnb is engaged in, but it should be because it's not doing the same levels of life safety it's not observing the same planning conditions and in many of its uh, properties on its platform are not paying appropriate taxes those three things are why it should be clamped down on not because of this uh, um, bogus in my view um, problem um, with regard to housing supply so um, I think how this is um, impacting the market as a whole um, what we're seeing with Airbnb uh, it's still pretty resilient actually its share price is uh, looking pretty healthy it's uh, it's up on on the lows of a year ago up 63 percent its market cap 91 billion dollars way ahead of um, any other hoteliers uh, it's not done quite as well as booking holdings it's uh, that's up 78 percent on the year um, now 123 billion us dollars market cap um, but airbnb are you know we're, we're quite big bears on it there remain a lot of um, bulls particularly in wall street on on airbnb it, it's got profound problems because of this regulatory crackdown and it's not succeeding in getting into the other areas of growth um, it's been sort of taking a look at so i mean in terms of um um, hotels for example so airbnb listings in london um according to inside airbnb the sort of it's a sort of anti-airbnb uh um website lobby group um it's got uh, um it said there were 88,000 listings in london of of um on the airbnb site and 62 percent were whole homes i mean this makes it quite clear that uh, you know airbnb's main business is not really um offering a hosted room experience it's much more about uh, being a platform for regular um, short-term accommodation um, and you know which isn't appropriately regulated in many cases um, and in terms of the push which airbnb had started into hotels inside airbnb reckons just 0.2 percent of that those 88,000 listings were were hotels so that's not going very well um also not going very well is the push into the experiences thing um this is the idea where you're gonna book your i don't know your thai cooking course <laughs> or your um you know your your canoeing experience on the, the salt marshes of Norfolk or something um, so uh, that that hasn't proved to be the gold mine that it was hoped so I, I think there are some fundamental issues I think with the uh, Airbnb's growth prospects um, uh, and I, I think actually and with this regulation piece airbnb looks set for its toughest time since it was founded back in 2000 now it's time to progress to our five star no star awards uh, not just of the week we're going to uh, uh, issue our awards of the year this being the last podcast of 2023 over to you andrew 
Yeah, so um, it's not surprisingly going to be interest rates. So um, both no star and five star. So the no star is this. So in, in the UK, we've had 14 consecutive rises of interest rates and the fastest rate tightening um, on record. Um, quite remarkable how... Um, tough it's been actually um and quite remarkable how resilient the overall market has has been as well and if you look at the us so um it's a 525 basis point increase by the federal reserve same as um the the bank of england um the previously tightest rate tightening cycle in the us um was um well in the last 40 years or so anyway was uh, between 2004 and 2006 and it went up in that cycle 425 basis points so quite a remarkable um, um, tightening cycle we've, we've we've just gone through so that's very much a, a no stars for that um, but um, five stars for that just mentioned resilience but also I think it's pretty clear now we are at an end of it and we are looking forward in 2024 to to seeing some significant uh, cuts um, as the year progresses. And on that happy note, we'll say goodbye for now.